1: Our reading tonight comes from 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, which starts on page 456 of the Pew Bibles. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David, In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphat, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Masaiyah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the doorkeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The men did the work faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari, Zechariah, and Meshulam, descended from Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and doorkeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, to Ahikam son of Shaphan, to Abdon son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, and for the remnant in Israel and Judah, about what is written in this book that has been found." Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldan, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokhath, the son of Hazrah, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who has sent you to inquire of the Lord... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard that he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it and people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let me pray. O great God and loving Heavenly Father, we praise you, we honour your name, and we ask as we read your word that our hearts would be humble and responsive and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One thing I've got to say in announcements is that it's Anthony Mazars last night who just took down the lectern. Uh, we're going to have uh, Japanese at Shinmachi, which means Newtown in Japanese, on the corner after the service. If you want to come, join us and give Anthony a high five. Uh, in this short series that we're doing, we're calling it the Together series, uh, we're looking at four aspects of our life together in church. And last week, we spoke about, in particular, our longing this year for this place to be a home to more people, for people outside church to come in and find belonging, for people who are uh, amongst us, gathered with us, to find uh, their place in God's community. Mike talked about how we are together being built into a spiritual house through the work of the Holy Spirit on behalf of the Father, centered around Jesus Christ. That's the kind of home that God's building among us. This week, we want to think about our other longing for this year in particular, which is actually about our hearts. If the center of the spiritual house is the Lord Jesus, the cornerstone who gave himself for us, then we need to be on about the business of hearts that are are aflame after him. Now, you might hear the talk of hearts and find that strange, but all the Bible means when it says heart is the, the navigation center of your soul, the seat of your identity, your core drive engine. From your heart, your mouth speaks, so Jesus said. And so I want to enter this topic today in a slightly different way by looking at my favourite character in the Bible, King Josiah. Now, I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I grew up watching Star Wars. And so it, did, it took me until my early 20s to read the Bible from end to end for the first time. And the one story I remember that struck me, and left an impression on me, was this story the story of King Josiah. He gets two runs in the Bible, two kings and two chronicles, the one we just read. Now, in your Bible, two chronicles is in the middle. But in Jesus' Bible, if I can play that little trump card, two chronicles is actually the last book in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew order, uh, it is the very last, which makes Josiah, who comes at the very end of two chronicles, it makes him the last hero of the whole Old Testament almost pointing the way forward for what God's people could be under their future messianic king. And so he has much to show us about what it means to be a church centred on Jesus Christ. All I want to do today is walk through his story. It has three parts, origin, a massive incident, and its aftermath. And we'll talk about some things along the way. The question I want to ask all the way through is quite simply, What is so significant about Josiah? What is so significant about Josiah? Let's start with his origin story, 34 verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Sounds like a bad idea, doesn't it? But it actually tells you a bit of a tragic story because his father died at the age of 24 which means he had Josiah at age 16, and, and Josiah's father died young because he was so evil. And Josiah effectively grew up in a post-Yahweh culture, where the old ways of God had been left behind or been intermingled with so many other different ways that people didn't know who God was. And yet, we read of Josiah that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the way of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. What's so significant about Josiah? Such a grand title at the beginning. He's a cut above every king since David. What do we learn? In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he did two things. He began to seek the God of his father, David, And then in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places. And this is the first thing that is really significant about Josiah. He seeks the one true God and purges all his rivals. Seeks the one true God and purges all his rivals. So we learn when he was 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father, David. That word seeks quite significant in Chronicles. Back in 1 Chronicles, when David was teaching everyone how to worship, he said you should sing something like this. Glory in His holy name that the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. Seek His face always. Speaking of a continual, habitual, often frequent, seeking a relational, deep knowledge of the God Yahweh. That's who Josiah is cast in the mold of. A teenage seeker of the face of God. It almost has a flavor of longing after communing with God. That's what's significant about Josiah in the beginning. Is that true of you? Are you a seeker of God's face? But it goes beyond that. At the age of 20, as we read just then, he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem, which sounds like the exact thing to do for a 20-year-old king, who's male, right, don't you think? Go break a whole bunch of stuff, okay? Uh, at the age of 20, you become into your legitimate uh, kind of adulthood, and so he became king in a real sense at the age of 20, and as soon as he became king, he goes on a reform mission and destroys every other rival to the worship of the true God in the whole land. And you can see all the, all the strange details that you didn't need to know about how he did that in the verses that follow, about how he scattered things, turned them into fine dust, how he cut them all to pieces, the different poles, the different images that he cast down. What we're supposed to admire about Josiah is how his longing after God has grown into an exclusive allegiance to God. His longing after God has grown into an exclusive allegiance He cannot stand any of the false gods around because he knows the one true God. See, Israel was in the habit of hedging their spiritual bets. Ashtoreth and Baal in particular were the gods you looked to to make sure you had crops in your field and babies in your house, to make sure that your livelihood was looked after. They're the gods that you would look to and Israel, in worshiping those gods in those ways, was saying to the true God that you aren't trustworthy to fill our houses with children and our and our fields with crops. There was a distrust at the heart of Israel that it was never able to shake. And yet Josiah flies in the face of that, longs after the true God, and purges all of the idols thoroughly and completely. What's so significant about Josiah? We start to get a picture of it here, and we start to realize, well, if Israel through their whole history hedged their spiritual bets, then perhaps it could be true of us living in Sydney too, that we hedge our spiritual bets. And that the one true God is jealous also for our affections and our exclusive allegiance. But that is not the most significant thing that happens in Josiah's life. In fact, this is all background knowledge, really, to the big thing that's about to happen next. And this is the second thing. In Josiah's 26th year, something really significant happens. And the, the whole the way the story is told tells you that. Because everything gets into slow motion. The first seven verses are kind of a flyover. But in the next story, you see someone discover a book in the temple doing mundane administrative tasks that you know too much about now. And then they hand the book to someone else and then it goes into the the court of the king and then it's read before the king and you see what the king does. It's all like in slow motion. You're kind of zoomed in on Josiah and his response to this book. What Josiah decides at the age of 26 is having purged, begun purging the land, he needs to rebuild the temple, the true place of worship, And as they're going about repairing the temple, they find a book. Might have been under some table somewhere. Things get lost sometimes. Uh, It's just that this book was written by Moses. Uh, And it's the law that came through from Mount Sinai, from Moses to the people of God. It's most likely it it has to include the book of Deuteronomy. What? has been found in the temple. It might include the first five books of the Bible that is also kind of under the title of the law of the Lord. So these guys lost the Bible and they didn't find it for like 80 years, right? So these guys are in a, this is, this is a bad situation. This is a post-Yahweh culture. And so uh, luckily the first guy who finds it knows what it is, Hilkiah. Shaphan takes and he says, I've been given this book, I don't know. Should I read it to you? And so he reads it out loud in the hearing of King Josiah, then the most significant thing in this whole story happens. What does Josiah do? He hears the book of Deuteronomy and rends all his clothes, points to every person in the room and says, you go, you go, you go, and you go. Everyone go ask God what to do. Because I spent my entire life purging this place of idols. But I've just realized that it is too little and it is way too late. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, he says in verse 21. And for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that it's been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because of our fathers, have not kept the word of the Lord, they have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Josiah spent his whole life reforming Israel, his whole kingship up to this point. And he realises that he could remove the whole land of idols, but there's one thing he can't do. And that's turn aside God's anger on his people for their idolatry. You see, we have two problems in the end. That we're addicted to hedging our bets and that we provoke the anger of God in doing so. Josiah's dealt with one, but not the other. And so he sends and they find Huldah, uh, who's a prophetess, by the way, one of the few prophetesses in the Bible, whose husband is a keeper of the wardrobe. Who knows? <laughs> and Huldah comes back and says exactly what Josiah is thinking. She says all the curses written in the book are going to fall on Judah because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have done. My anger will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. It's too little and it's way too late. What you have done, though good, cannot turn aside my anger. And that word forsaken me is very key, I think, in that paragraph. It's key to understanding the personal offense that the one true God takes to the hedging of spiritual bets with other gods, particularly the God who saved and loves his people. His anger grows out of his personal concern and love and attachment to this people and their inability to remain faithful to him. But what happens? Josiah receives a small sliver of mercy, what's a small slither it's going to happen but not in your day but why and this is the second this is the second mo- the sig- what's significant about Josiah the second thing is this his humble and responsive heart his humble and responsive heart because your heart was responsive, verse 27, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and his people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you. You see, I expect God to say, you did a really good dog purging, mate. High five. I'll make sure it doesn't fall in your day. Or you humbled yourself and you purged, but... But God actually, the most significant thing about Josiah to God is the humility of his heart before his spoken word and his holy anger. See, God is not interested in the end, nor summoning you to just pull your life together, to purge everything, to put on your religious best. What does God want? responsive and humble hearts that understand what his word says and understand his righteous anger against our inability to be faithful to him. I find that relieving in the end, to be honest, because I know that my sin is so far out of my control that it's not containable and that there is nothing I can do to to assuage his anger. It is, as Augustine says, that the way of salvation is free. It's an open doorway. It's just set at half-height, so you have to bend down to walk through. The greatest enemy to our spiritual lives is, in the end, our own pride. The slow callousness that grows after Hearing God's word and saying no to it again and again and again and again. The choice day by day to choose our own strength over seeking his face. And in the end, the only way back is a humble and contrite spirit. That is what God loves. And when Josiah comes like that to God, he receives what? Mercy undeserved favor the relenting of his anger that is the most significant thing about Josiah and we know this is the most significant thing because this is the story of his grandfather Manasseh his grandfather Manasseh was so evil at one point that he sacrificed his sons to a god named Molech and yet when God's judgment fell on him it says that he humbled himself and God heard him and then Manasseh's son Amon Josiah's father It said of him that he was more evil, not because of what he did, but because he did not humble himself. So this whole part of 2 Chronicles is about your spiritual health in the end comes down to whether you respond to the holiness of God and his word with humility and responsiveness or not. That is the sum total. But that's not the end of this story either. There's a little bit more. In the aftermath, we realize something else really significant about Josiah. First of all, I probably wouldn't do what he does next. You know, I've spent my whole life trying to reform Israel to learn that that was not enough, and it would never be enough. I probably wouldn't keep on doing the same stuff, but he does. In fact, he doubles down. He gathers the whole of Israel together. He reads the the, the book that he was read in his presence to them he kind of does this wedding ceremony where he he weds them back to God, come back to God, be faithful to him. He pledges to be wholehearted and whole-souled in his commitment to God and then clears the whole land of abominations. He doubles down. It's almost like his obedience later is even more fervent than it was at the beginning. It's like the mercy he has received, the, the small sliver that it is, has fired his heart to obey. Because friends, it is true that nothing will fire your heart like humbly experiencing the mercy of God. Nothing will make you long to obey than viewing his holiness, knowing there's no way back, and yet him allowing you to have it. But it's at this point that we also realise that the third really significant thing about Josiah, and the really significant thing about this story in the end, because in the end what this story shows us is not that we need to be Josiah, but that we need a Josiah. What happens after this moment of mercy that Josiah receives is that two things happen. As long as he lives, what happens? The wrath won't fall. As long as he lives, what happens? God's people, as it says in 33, uh, they keep obeying God's word until the very end. So as long as he lives, the wrath won't fall and God's people will be obedient. But he dies. It's almost like you're left at the end of the story thinking, we need another Josiah. We need someone who can shield us from the wrath of God and who can bind us in obedience to himself. Friends, Jesus is the true and better Josiah, who does not delay God's judgment, but bears it in his flesh on the cross to turn God's wrath away from our sin. And he isn't just wed us back to God, he pours God's Spirit into us and binds us to himself, never to be free of him again. Jesus is the true and better Josiah, who forever lives to shield us from God's wrath and keep us in perfect obedience. You see, as long as the people lived under the spell of the great king Josiah, their hearts were set in the right place. And the same is true of us. For as long as we live under the spell of the great mercy that we have received through what Jesus has done for us, that our hearts will be aflame to obey and follow him wholeheartedly. I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you feel your heart hardening, to bow your knees. If you feel your heart growing cold and dull, lower yourself to the ground and humbly recognize that there is no way beyond his anger but the mercy of his Son. And let that truth warm you from your toes to to your head. Let's pray. Father, we come today acknowledging our spiritual addiction to hedging our bets and the wrath that so rightly builds in you. And yet we don't stand alone. We stand with our great King Jesus who has turned your wrath away from us, who has bound us to himself by your Spirit. And Father, we come humbly today to taste afresh the mercy that we have received by his blood. We pray warm our hearts with your mercy and grow in us a new and full obedience in Jesus name